Hey guys, welcome back to Sarah Says, the weekly podcast with me, Sarah, CEO and Chief Scrunchy Enthusiast over at Sacramento Studios, talking about whatever it is that's on my mind. And it's probably not a surprise to you when I say these next words that I have recorded this podcast two times now. Within those two times, I have gone back and redone segments probably seven times some of them over and over again. So here we are once again. This is me trying to have a podcast that goes in depth without going over an hour long (laughs) into Anthony's book, The Viscount Who Loved Me, which will be season two of Bridgerton, which I thought they had started filming. I swear I swear if Luke, aka Colin, posts one more picture on Instagram and says something like, the boys are back, but then has to go back and edit it with a hashtag saying throwback, like, Colin, you're no longer going to be my favorite. That's all I have to say. Like, I thought this was giving me so much life and joy last week. And then I went back to look at it again. And it said that it was a throwback on there. I was like, it did not say that the first time around when I saw this. You're telling me you actually haven't started filming it yet. Netflix, get on it. Get these people back in character. I need to see season two of Bridgerton. Like, I am so ready. But Here we go. Let's try to get through book two, The Viscount Who Loved Me, which is Anthony's story, along with pairing it with what I definitely think should be in the show. Because, like, The Duke and I, Daphne's book, the writing just wasn't there for me. And I don't know if that is, like, because I read the book after I saw season one, and there are just, like, there are characters that aren't even introduced. Like, Eloise had two mentions in book one, and I get it, and that's where I was like, I love how the show did this and brought all these characters in ahead of time. So it's like, I know that there's going to be so many different things that go off from the book, but also there are some very important things that need to be in season two. So let's get into the book. Let's go. All right. Jumping into book two, The Viscount Who Loved Me, which will be season two of Bridgerton. We're talking about Anthony this time. He is 29 and he has finally decided that he is going to get married. This opens up in 1814. So this is the year after Simon and Daphne have met and gotten married. And he has decided that he is just going to marry the Diamond of the First Water that year, uh, which in the show was Daphne in season one. But in her book, she was on her third season. So I actually like how they changed that around. Anyway, The Diamond of the First Water of 1814, the incomparable of the season, is the one Edwina Sheffield. Now, Edwina, as far as I know, and I just checked IMDb again, she has not been cast yet. My biggest, like, 
<laughs> I mean, and I, it's like, I know that this isn't going to happen. Um, Edwina is 17. And that's, you know, that's not that that's not uncommon for that time. Uh, but yeah, Anthony's 29. And that's weird. <laughs> That's weird. It's not that that wasn't common back in the day, but that's weird. So they are definitely going to have to age Edwina up. God, I hope. I mean, I know they're not going to cast a 17-year-old in the role, but um, yeah, they're definitely going to have to age her up some. Thankfully, though, this story, although on that note, you know what? This is totally, this didn't even show up in my other iterations of this podcast. It just occurred to me today was it, um, I don't know. I was on my way to work this week. We'll say it this week. Um, and it, they were playing the age game for birthdays and it was about how old Kira Knightley was. And I, like, I knew that she was probably in her thirties, but I'm like, oh no, like, yeah. Okay. No, this is totally wild. So, Anyway, um, they were playing the age game about Kira Knightley, how old she was because her birthday is in March. And I'm like, no, she's got to be in her 30s. But in like, she was in love actually. And so like, maybe she's in her 40s. No, she was 18 in love actually. That's like, okay, anyway, um, yeah, like imagine. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Oh my gosh, I can't. Then that, that seriously, I just that was not in these other iterations. So here we go. I guess this is the charm of filming this, filming, recording this podcast again. Um, normally I would stop and re-record this, but no, I think you guys should hear that little segue. Anyway, back to Bridgerton. So technically, I guess they could, well, they probably wouldn't put a 17-year-old in the role, but I guess they could put an 18-year-old, uh, like Kira Knightley was 18 in Love Actually. Um, okay, moving on from this point. Thankfully, I think that was just thunder outside. <laughs> okay, oh my god, we're really devolving here. This season is not about Edwina, okay? This season is all about her stepsister, Kate Sheffield who has been cast by Simone Ashley. And she is gorgeous. She is gorgeous. And here's the thing about this casting. I mean, I love it. I love it. Um, But she is supposed to be plain <laughs> because everyone is focusing on Edwina. Kate is the lowly spinster at the tender old ripe age of 21 which I've hurt my own feelings on that one. <laughs> Yikes. Um, but Simone is gorgeous. So I can't even imagine who they're going to cast as Edwina, even though they're stepsisters. So like, they're not meant to look anything alike anyway. Like, that's going to be crazy to me. Um, and I also, also as a note, cannot wait to see who they cast as Mary, which is their mother. It's Kate's stepmother. But Edwina's mother. Um, it's it's a thing. If you read the book, you you get it, and you should read the books, even though I'm discussing them right now. Um, but we open open the book, much like the Duke and I 
where it opens with Simon being born, being very unloved by his father. And so we know why he was the way he was, which is all of the flashback scenes in the second episode of Bridgerton of the first season. It opens with the untimely death of Edmund Bridgerton, which is the father, when Anthony was 18. So much like how Simon could have gone to therapy for his father issues, Anthony also could have gone to therapy. They really could have split therapy costs and gone halvesies for their father trauma issues. Although they're like two sides of the coin. Simon, he was very unloved and his father was terrible. Anthony was very loved. He adored his father. His father adored all of their children, except unfortunately Hyacinth because Violet was still pregnant uh, at the time of his death. However, this opens up. Anthony is 18. They are at Opry Hall, which is their country estate, which I also cannot wait to see. Um, I am obsessed with old English houses. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. Um, and Edmund is stung by a bee and he dies. Um, which it's noted that he's been stung before and, you know, nothing's happened. So I'm not entirely sure how that works. Uh, obviously it wasn't the anaphylactic shock. Um, I don't know. Anyway, um, very shocking. Obviously, back then, they, they also probably didn't really realize anything about anaphylactic shock. So, Anthony, in that moment, just becomes consumed by this idea that he is going to die young, like his father, because his father has now died at 38, and his grandfather, Edmund's father, died at a young age, and I forget what he died of, but it was like a stroke or a heart attack. It was also something just, you know, just happened. Um, so Anthony's like, that's it. As, as Viscount Bridgerton, I'm going to die before I'm 38. Like, or I'll make it to 38 like my father, and I'm not going to live past 38. He's just convinced. Um, so yeah, so therapy. Therapy 100%. So it explains so much. One, it explains that really, really weird CGI bee that they show. Like, I don't know if you remember, but the very last shot of season one, after Daphne has given birth, there's that weird CGI bee at the windowsill. And I'm like, okay, this is really weird. Why is there some random bee? Uh, like, not even a good CGI bee. Um, I, it's this tie-in idea because her father died from a bee sting. Um, so I like, okay, I'm trying to figure out how to say this properly. I love learning this backstory. I guess this is how I'll say it. I love learning this backstory of Anthony because it fits so much better for this whole idea. So he does not want to fall in love because he is consumed with this idea that he is going to die young. He is so convinced that he is going to die young that he's like, I don't want to fall in love with my wife. I know I have to get married and I know that I have to have offsprings. I know I have to have sons, but I don't want to love my wife because I don't want to know what it's like to have love and then die young. Slash, I don't want to love my wife and I don't want her to love me because I don't want her to be like my mother 
and lose the love of her life at a young age and then just be a widow for the rest of her life. And if that's not an oddly sweet, very sad thing, like, I had to explain this to my cousin, Kelsey. Kelsey, I hope you listen to this one. Because she was like, I just hated Anthony. And I was like, excuse me? She's like, well, he was just, like, he didn't have to be a dick towards Kate. And I'm like, no, but you don't, like, the, the reason that he was so anti-falling in love, even though, I mean, he falls in love with Kate almost instantaneously, um... It takes him over half the book to figure it out, (laughs) but I'm like, he's in love with her. He doesn't realize it, but he doesn't want to fall in love because he doesn't want to doom her or his wife, whoever he picks, to being like his mother and just, like, having having a great, having a nice life, but being sad. And I'm like, I love Anthony. And I'm like, show Anthony. They did show Anthony so wrong for this because his whole thing is, well, I don't want to fall in love because my opera singer girlfriend told me the complete truth. Like (laughs) his whole, which just doesn't like, let's just get married. No one's ever going to say anything. I'm a Viscount and my sister married a Duke. She's a duchess now. No one's going to say anything. Yeah. To you. No one's going to say anything to you, Anthony, Sienna was never going to be allowed in anywhere. Like, people were going to talk about her for the rest of her life. Like, I just thought that that was so stupid because I'm like, you have to be smarter than this idea that's going through your head right now. And I really hate how they really played up this whole Sienna storyline and made this whole, like, well, I'm just taking love out of it completely because I've realized that love ruins everything because of Sienna, when in actuality, Sienna in the book is named Maria. She is in like 10 pages, maybe we're going to talk about it. It's like mentioned, talked about that they have had a thing in the past, but there was no, he had an apartment for her. He thought about it, He's like, oh, well, I'll just have an apartment for her, like, whatever she would understand. But it's, none of that ever happened. There was no real opera singer, huge love, you know, storyline going on. And the whole fact is he doesn't want to fall in love because he's convinced he's going to die young. Not because he's been spurned by an opera singer. So I don't really know how they're going to connect those storylines together because they have to like they have to meander it and weave it in and just shift it over to this bee sting and I feel like that's probably going to be like a Simon thing with the flashbacks so instead of it all I mean I guess it could all be in one moment um but like it would it I feel like it's going to be more of the flashback idea of how, like, Simon, the prologue in The Duke and I is just Simon. All of those flashbacks in episode two, I feel like it's going to be these spaced out, like, Anthony just growing up with his father, going on hikes, doing all of these things, having a great relationship, and then finding out at 18, your father's dead from, he got stung by a bee on a hike. And just 
like now you've just assumed all of these roles uh, because your role model has died from a bee sting, which is just, you know, shocking. Moving into some of my absolute favorite parts that had better be in season two, but also like these are the reasons you should read this book and not just wait until next freaking year for season two. Um, first of all, Colin has a new role. I have now learned because I am in book six, so I am in Francesca's story right now. And he effectively sets up Anthony, Benedict, and Francesca. I'm obsessed. I love it. Um, I mean, he has his own hand in Daphne's because he gets her to where they're having the duel. He obviously can't set himself up, uh, per se. And Eloise, <laughs> we're going to get into homegirl uh, later. But I'm obsessed with it. I mean, Colin's matchmaking service. Can he please set me up, Colin? I'm. I can. Can you set me up with you? I would also be okay with that. Uh, no offense, Penelope. Um. Anyway, we start this at the Smith Smith Musicale, which also there is a Smith Smith Musicale or a Smith Smith trio of books, separate but like within the same time frame of the Bridgerton books, uh, which I can't wait to read those someday very soon. Um. Edwina let it be known that anyone who wants to propose to her has to get the approval of Kate because she trusts her stepsister implicitly. Uh, you know, obviously Kate is 21, so she feels that she is more knowledgeable than she is at 17, which is true. And also, like, yeah, no, I was still not knowledgeable at 21. Um, but Anthony doesn't know this. Colin does because Colin has read Whistledown. So... At the next ball, where everyone is, when Anthony is dancing with Edwina, Colin seeks out Kate to talk to her. He writes her his name down on her dance card, but she doesn't have anyone dancing with her because no one is paying attention to her, you know. And he kind of gets the lowdown that she can't stand Anthony. So Anthony finishes dancing with Edwina. He's talking to Colin. And Colin says you know, how was your dance with the lovely Miss Sheffield? And Anthony says, she'll do. <laughs> Colin said, really? You should meet her sister then. Anthony says, I beg your pardon? And Colin says, her sister. You simply must meet her sister. So they're speaking and Colin's letting him know about this whole situation. And Colin says, you'll have no trouble winning her over. No trouble at all. A shy aging spinster. She's probably never received attention from such a man as you. She'll never know what hit her. And Anthony says, I don't need her to fall in love with me. I just need her to recommend me to her sister. And Colin says, you can't fail. You simply can't fail. Trust me. I spent a few minutes in conversation with her earlier this evening and she could not say enough about you. <laughs> Which 100% is not a lie. She couldn't say enough about him. None of them were good things. Anthony doesn't know that. So <laughs> what Colin does. So Colin leads Anthony over and he's just pushing through the crowds, which by the way, though, this is how it reads. So Anthony says, okay, well, which one is she? So Colin points her out. This is Anthony's first impression of Kate. It says she was not at all what he'd expected. 
Anthony realizes he watched her pick her way through the crowds. She was certainly no ape-leading Amazon. It was only when compared to Edwina, who barely touched five feet, that she would appear so tall. In fact, Miss Catherine Sheffield was quite pleasant-looking, with thick, medium brown hair and dark eyes. Her skin was pale, her lips pink, and she held herself with an air of confidence he could not help but find attractive. So, like, he's already intrigued. He sees her in a way that no one else does. So... He goes over. Colin's like, Miss Sheffield, Miss Sheffield, basically pushing through the crowd. She's like, I can't, like, this is weird that I'm already seeing you again. And Anthony is immediately like, I don't know, something seems a little off about this. (laughs) Colin says, I can't explain why, but it suddenly seemed imperative that I introduce you to my brother. She just, like, turns into a brick wall. And Anthony is like, this is odd. (laughs) (laughs) so they meet she's just you know trying to get out of this and Colin makes a noise it says Colin made a noise that sounded suspiciously like a snort or maybe a laugh or maybe both and Anthony suddenly knew one look at his his brother's face should have given it all away this was no shy retiring underappreciated spinster and whatever she had said to Colin earlier that evening, it had contained no compliments about Anthony. Fratricide was legal in England, wasn't it? (laughs) I mean, it really is a wonder. Colin really uh, flirts with danger several times for his own life Um, in many of these books. So they're speaking and Colin's like, you know what? I need some lemonade, but darn it, I put my name down on your Nance card for this dance. Anthony, why don't you take her out to dance? And Kate's like, no, really, that's, you know, it's not a big deal. And then Anthony gets insulted. He's like, nah, drags her out on the dance floor. And I love this because, again, it's this great parallel of opposites between Daphne and Simon versus Kate and Anthony. Because, Daphne and Simon, so the first time they meet, they're, like, taking down Burbrook, basically, because he's drunk, like, proposing to Daphne over and over again. They don't know who each other are at the beginning of that, and then they do. And then Anthony pushes them to dance together, and in the book, that's when they come up with the ruse right then and there, and they form this unlikely friendship, and they're, they're like, hey, let's do this. And Daphne makes it very clear in that moment. I want a family. I want children. And if you're not okay with this, you need to say so right here and now. But they form this bond in this dance within like the first 80 pages of the book. Kate and Anthony, meanwhile, within the first 80 pages of the book, dance and she maims him by stepping on his foot. (laughs) Very hard. Um, I can't. I mean, they are the best enemies to lovers. This is chef's kiss enemies to lovers territory. This is what you strive for. This is the top of the mountain enemies to lovers here. So at one point, she says to him during the stance, you are a rake, you are a rogue, you are in fact notorious for being both. I would not allow my sister within 10 feet of you. And he says, and yet I waltzed with her earlier this evening. And she says, an act which shall not be repeated, I can assure you. And so then Anthony takes a different stance. He's like, okay, well, you want to bet? Because if I want to propose, I'm going to propose. And if I propose, she's going to say yes. And then Kate is like, 
okay, try me. Do you want to bet? <laughs> she steps on his foot very hard and he's like, you are a menace. And she's like, you need thicker bo- boots. The next morning, he shows up to the house. Edwina is shockingly out with Lord Burbrook. Like, I do have to say, I hate Burbrook. I really do. But they really, that's another thing where the show took it to this other level. Like, in the books, he ends up marrying Philippa. Or Prudence. Maybe he marries Prudence. He marries one of the Featherington girls. Which we find out in in Colin's book. So I'm like really confused about where that storyline is going to go. Um, But Edwina is out on a carriage ride with Burbrook when Anthony comes calling. And I also find this really so sweet. He brings flowers for everyone. And he throws a nod over to Simon in, within the first book, and he says, oh, you know, this happened to the guy that was courting my sister, and, uh, you know, I, ne- I never saw my mother so happy, so, you know, flowers for everyone. And I'm like, oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> There's more flowers coming up. It's super cute. But um, this is another thing that somehow better be in this book. First of all, Mary, Kate's stepmother. We love Mary. We stay on Mary in this house. I can't wait to see Mary and Violet Bridgerton in action. Very interested in this. Very excited for this. Because Mary also had a fantastic line about Portia Featherington, Lady Featherington, about how she wouldn't know how to pick out a color for her girls if a rainbow slapped her in the face. She's not wrong. Um, so anyway, Mary comes downstairs because she hears this commotion going on because Anthony has also met Newton, the corgi dog that Kate has. We had better see a corgi dog in season two. I'm telling you, if there is not a short little cute fluff ball called Newton in season two, we're going to have some words. Mary is not a big fan of Newton. Like, she's actually kind of afraid of him, which is just hysterical because he's a quirky dog. So she's like, oh, you know, I don't really feel like going on a walk with, uh, with you guys taking him, but you two should definitely go on a walk while you're waiting for Edwina. In fact, go on the walk. You might even run into Edwina while you're out. I mean, (laughs) we love it. Because Kate's like, why is she trying to set me up with Anthony? She knows I can't stand him. And she knows that he's courting Edwina, not me. So why is she sending me out on this? (sighs) But you know what, Kate? There's a real fine line between love and hate. It's a real fine line. So they're getting ready to take Newton out. Newton is just losing it all over the place. And Anthony says, basically, like, sit. (laughs) Like, stop it right now. He just immediately does. And Kate says, uh, like, you seem to have such an affinity for canines. And he says, 
Clearly, they are not so very different from women. Both breeds hang on my every word. Kate stepped on his hand as he knelt to fasten the lead to Newton's collar. Oop, she said rather insincerely. I'm so sorry. Your tender solicitude quite unmans me, he returned, standing back up. I might break into tears. I mean, can you? I can't wait. I can't wait to see this. I'm like, I'm sure that these lines aren't going to happen. Who knows? She, In the show, she might not step on his hand. I don't know. I, well, she's going to have to step on his a hand or his foot at some point because they literally step on each other's hands and feet for the purpose of hurting the other one multiple times. Multiple times. Um. So anyway, they get there and Mary says, um, but I'll wave you off. I love this. Oh my God, I love this line. Kate says, what would I do without you to wave me off? Mary smiled slyly. I surely don't know, Kate. I surely don't know. <laughs> oh, I'm obsessed. I love it. I love it. So they go out on this walk. And uh, Anthony feels something for the first time towards Kate. And I love this. I love this. So they're on the walk. It's a very nice, I'm sorry, they're on their promenade. God, how many times have I said walk? It's clearly a promenade. They are going out to promenade. And it's a sunshiny spring day. Kate looks up into the sun just there he looks over at her and it says and for one extremely disconcerting moment anthony felt a sharp stab of something something he gave his head a little shake it couldn't possibly be desire not for this woman (laughs) oh but it is so they keep talking and she gets excited because he's like, well, I'm sure you can push your bonnet back, which I'm so ha- like, oh, God, I, like, I'm very happy that I hope we don't um, wear bonnets. I'm not I don't remember if there was bonnet talk in the Duke and I, but yeah, I hate them. So, um, well, I guess Eloise and Penelope were wearing bonnets, weren't they? Anyway, so she pushes her bonnet back and she's just like, well, she's very excited. Like, oh, you think like, do you think I can push my bonnet back and no one's going to notice? And it says her entire face lit up at the prospect and that strange stab of something pierced his gut again. But that something is not going to last because Newton, and this is why I'm telling you this dog better be in this season two, breaks free to go chase after some wildlife. Kate goes off and then in the words of Colin Firth in Love Actually, (laughs) Well, now she's gone in, and now she's going to think I'm a huge idiot if I don't go in, too. So Anthony runs, because he's like, well, she's running after him, and so then I got to run after him. Newton spots Edwina with Burbrook in his broken carriage on the other side of the serpentine, just a body of water. I think it's a river, but they call it a pond. Anyway. Uh, it's very famous. Um, they, they nowadays they have a serpentine party every year, um, in summer. Like, would love to go. Um, uh, not fashionable enough, and um, I I'm not famous. Anyway, not the point. So, basically, at the same moment, Kate and Anthony, in their respective distances from each other, realize that 
like, as soon as Newton gets to Edwina, he's going to push her into the water. So at the same point, they're like, ah, <laughs> like, don't, like, don't do it, don't do it. And, you know, Edwina's like, Newton, <laughs> he jumps up, pushes her into the water. Anthony fishes Edwina out. And then he is just apoplectic towards Kate. And Kate says, Edwina, are you all right? And Anthony says, I think you've done enough. And she says, me? And he says, look at her. Just look at her. Kate says, but it was an accident. And Edwina, meanwhile, in the back, she's like, I'm really fine. Cold, but fine. See? Kate returned, swallowing convulsively as she took in the disheveled side of her sister. It was an accident. He merely crossed his arms and arched a brow. You don't believe me, she breathed. I can't believe you don't believe me. Anthony said nothing. <laughs> oh, I, I love this. And Edwina is just like looking back and forth. And Kate says, aside from the fact that I would never, ever do anything to harm Edwina, how do you suppose I manage this amazing feat? Guys, I'm telling you, enemies to lovers, I, this better be, this, this better be in here. She clapped her hand, free hand, over her cheek in an expression of mock discovery. Oh, yes, I know the secret language of the corgis. I ordered the dog to yank the lead from my hand, and then, since I have the second sight, I knew that Edwina was standing right here by the serpentine. So then I said to the dog, through our powerful mind-to-mind -mind connection, since he was much too far away to hear my voice at this point, to change his direction, head for Edwina, and topple her into the lake. Sarcasm doesn't become you, Miss Sheffield. Nothing becomes you, Lord Bridgerton. Anthony leaned forward, his chin jutting out in a most menacing manner. Women should not keep pets if they cannot control them. And men should not take women with pets for a walk in the park if they can't control either, she shot back. Anthony could actually feel the tips of his ears turning red with barely leashed rage. You, madam, are a menace to society. She opened her mouth as if to return the insult, but instead she just offered him an almost frighteningly devious smile and turned to the dog and said, shake, Newton. Newton looked up at her finger, pointed right at Anthony, and obediently trotted a few steps closer to him before allowing himself a full body shake, spraying pond water everywhere. <laughs> Anthony went for her throat. I am going to kill you! <laughs> I... I, like, we better have Newton. That specific scene better show up. It better show up. That's all I'm saying. I love it. Post-Newton serpentine disaster, Edwina gets a cold. So she unfortunately cannot attend Violet's opera party that she is having at Bridgerton House, featuring the one and only Maria, a.k.a. Sienna. Yeah, I know. I still am not sure why they changed her name. Anyway, Anthony, however, sees Kate and Mary getting out of their uh, carriage at the house. And first of all, I just love this because, like, it's literally written in the book at least, well, yeah, three times from the window that he sees Kate, like, from the window. I just feel like season two could be summed up as Anthony staring broodingly out windows and seeing Kate. Um, but he's like, he's mad. He's like, 
this is all her fault. Edwina's not even here. I'm supposed to be courting her, but it's all her fault that Edwina's not here and, like, what's happening? And and mainly he's mad because he's dreamed about Kate. One of those dreams. The spicy variety. So, he's even more mad. <laughs> Tension is just building. It says Kate knew the moment he entered the room to sit down for the performance, which he showed up right after Maria started singing, which honestly rude, uh, cause he's like sitting in the front and Kate was sitting at the back. Once the singing is over, Kate's like, I just need to avoid him at all costs. So she goes out into the hallway, but then she hears voices, surprise, it's Anthony and Maria. So she starts like g- going to a door, turns the doorknob, it opens, she goes in, it's Anthony's study. <laughs> She's like, whatever, it's fine. I'll just wait until they pass by and then I'll slip back to the party. Everything will be fine. But then she hears voices at the door and she's like, you can't be serious right now. They're coming into the study. So she ducks under his table. (laughs) I can't wait like this. (laughs) This better be in here. Okay. But this is how it reads. This is basically... Maria slash Sienna summed up. And this is why I'm like, I don't understand why we had to devote so much of season one to Sienna. Um, so it says, you know, basically, it starts off with Anthony knew quite well why he'd brought Maria Rosso back to a study. Surely no warm blooded male could be immune to her charms. And then it says he felt no guilt that he would be using her for his own pleasure. In that regard, she was using him as well, and she at least would be compensated for it, whereas he would be out several jewels, a quarterly allowance, and the rent on a fashionable townhouse in a fashionable, but not too fashionable, part of town. So, like, it's, he's, he's thinking of the idea of, like, okay, maybe I'll start this up with her here, and I'll just get her a townhouse. But, like, this hasn't happened previously. So, like, I'm a li- Like, are we gonna... Like, is Sienna gonna show up again? I don't... I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. So, anyway. He and Maria are talking. He offers her a drink. He goes to get the drinks, which, unfortunately, is right past his desk where Kate is hiding under. And so Kate is under the desk and she's thinking, okay, if he just gets the drinks and like doesn't turn around, just kind of like walks backwards a little bit and then turns around like, I'll be fine. I'll be scot-free. It'll be totally grand. But Anthony can smell Kate because Kate uses a very distinct lily perfume and soap. So he he can smell it. And he's very confused. It says, he turned and started to take a step forward. Maria was waiting for him. But there was that scent again. Lilies. He could swear it was lilies and soap. The lilies were intriguing, but the soap made sense. A practical sort of woman like Kate Sheffield would scrub herself clean with soap. Which I'm like, what else are you scrubbing yourself with to get clean? If not soap. Anyway. His foot hesitated in midair, and his step forward proved to be a small one instead of his usual long stride. He couldn't quite escape that smell, and he kept turning, his nose instinctively twisting his eyes toward where he knew there couldn't be lilies, and yet the scent was impossibly there. And then he saw her under his desk, 
It was impossible. Surely this was a nightmare. Surely if he closed his eyes and opened them again, she'd be gone. He blinked. She was still there. (laughs) So he walks over to the desk. And he says, Maria... He said smoothly, moving forward toward the desk until he was stepping on Kate's hand. He didn't step hard, but he heard her squeak. This gave him immense satisfaction. I mean, no offense, but to be fair, she has now stepped very hard on his foot and then also stepped on his hand. So, you know, and then had her dog shake disgusting lake pond water, whatever, all over him. Um... Maria, he repeated, I have suddenly remembered an urgent matter of business that must be dealt with immediately. This very night, she asked, sounding quite dubious. I'm afraid so. Oof. (laughs) Maria blinked. Did you just grunt? No, Anthony lied, trying not to choke out the word. Kate had removed her glove and wrapped her hand around his knee, digging her nails straight through the breeches and into his skin. Hard. At least he'd hoped it was her nails. It could have been her teeth. Are you sure nothing's amiss? Maria inquired. Nothing at whatever body part Kate was sinking into his leg sank a little farther. All the last word came out as more of a howl, and he kicked his foot forward, connecting with something he had a sneaking suspicion was her stomach. Normally, Anthony would die before striking a woman, but this truly seemed to be an exceptional case. In fact, he took not a little bit of pleasure in kicking her while she was down. She was biting his leg after all. So, he escorts Maria out of the room. He's like, you know, is it okay if I don't walk you back to the party? He turns, locks the door, walks over, and hauls Kate out from under his desk because she's still hiding under the desk. Which, homegirl, I would probably be doing the same thing. I'm not going to lie. They, you know, the enemies the lovers, very fine line between love and hate. They're talking, and then he kisses her. And, again, the striking polar opposite yet similarity. Well, no, this one's not. In this, it's not a polar opposite. In fact, he's just a hypocrite in this moment because he kisses Kate, of which he, it just happens. And... (laughs) He said, it says, Anthony knew he must be insane. There could be no other explanation. He'd meant to scare her, terrify her, make her understand that she could never hope to meddle in his affairs and win. And and instead, he kissed her. <laughs> so, and he kisses her several times. And then she's like, okay, now you're definitely not marrying Edwina. And he's like, well, and she's like, like, I don't want to marry you. And he's like, okay, well, great, because I wasn't asking. And she's like, but you kissed me. And he's like, okay, and? And I'm like, yo, homeboy, Anthony, let's, like, take a step back here and talk this out. Because when you caught Daphne kissing Simon, her first kiss, you, you're you like, well, she, you have to marry her or I'm going to kill you. <laughs> like, um... No, like, that's just not how it works here, son. And it's like, he didn't just kiss Kate one time in the room, like, in his study. He kissed her, like, twice. Um, And at one point he says, don't say anything. Whatever you do, don't say anything. And she says, but he goes, not a word. (laughs) The last thing he wanted was for her to ruin this perfectly good moment by opening her mouth and arguing. And so, like, 
he's just he's just drawn Kate. But then he's like, like, no, I'm still going after Edwina. And she's like, okay, well, now I'm really not going to let you marry my sister. And, you know, it's fine because Violet, in her great Violet ways, immediately following the opera party, invites the girls and Mary, along with most of London, to their country estate at Aubrey Hall for yet another party. I just, I can't wait. I need more vitamin string quartet. I'm already excited for this. Anthony again catches sight of Kate Edwina this time and Mary getting out of the carriage at Aubrey Hall. Again, just broodingly looking out and then spying Kate. So they have their introductions with Violet and Kate's like, you know, the flowers are beautiful. I would love to take a tour of them. And Violet's like, oh, go right ahead. Like my master gardener would love, you know, to hear this because he does such great work. So Kate goes off. Anthony then comes down, like, basically right after they have left. And he's like, oh, I think I might go for a walk. And Violet's like, you're going to go for a walk? Like, you haven't gone on a walk in forever. And he's like, well, I haven't been in the country forever. And she's like, well, that's true. Hey, you should go tour the this garden specifically because, you know, there, there are these flowers that are only in bloom right now and you should go see them. And... <laughs> So he's like, okay, well, I'll see you after, I'll see you for dinner. He goes off and it says her eldest son's interest in the Sheffields was most intriguing. Now she could only figure out which Sheffield he was interested in. I mean, I'm obsessed. I'm absolutely obsessed. So, um, he's on the walk. He hears a noise, gets up there and then he sees her and he says, it was her. And he's like, why would my mother, much more at the beginning of this, Kate's like, why would Mary be sending me on a walk with him? Because, like, we can't stand each other. And she knows that he's going after Edwina. Now, Anthony is like, why would my mother be, like, obviously she did this on purpose, but like, why is she here to set me up with Kate? Like, it should be Edwina. And they're walking and Kate's like, look, I've promised to be on my best behavior. He laughs. And she's like, oh, yeah, surprisingly, that's uh, Mary and Edwina's first reaction. And, like, that's what he had seen as they were getting out of the carriage as he's staring broodingly from the uh, from his window. So anyway, um, he, and this is so sweet, picks a tulip and she says, oh, you, you know, you shouldn't do that. And he says... You should have a tulip. It isn't right that Edwina receives all the flowers. And I'm going to tell you why that's even super, like, even more super sweet. Or, like, how good, like, the little details are that the writing staff picked up in Shondaland. Because if you remember in season one, when he comes to talk to Violet and she is working on embroidery and she's like oh yes I'm working on this embroidery for when the duke decides to propose to your sister tulips uh do you think your fiance should like one too when I was like oh that's cute well then when I read the duke and I it was that Simon had brought Daphne and Violet tulips and I was like oh that's cute like because then in the show they made it that she was embroidering tulips and now I'm like, 
Oh my god, when they added the, like, oh, do you think your fiancé should like uh, tulips? It's because Anthony picks a tulip for Kate. We love it. Um, so, that cute moment aside, he's standing there. They are standing in this garden and they're, she's like, look, I'm going to be on my best behavior. Don't test me. At the same time, he is thinking, man, I want to kiss her again. (laughs) And then he's like, well, if I kiss her again, like, I really can't marry Edwina at that point because, like, I can't really be lusting after my sister-in-law while I'm married, even though I don't intend upon falling in love. But then he's also like, I definitely can't marry Kate because I feel like I could fall in love with her. But like, yeah, I think that I'm going to kiss her again. And then who shows up but our sweet baby angel Colin to suggest a game of Pall Mall. And look, this is where in the other versions of this recording, I've gone into the Pall Mall game because... I just love it. I'm obsessed with it. But at this point, I'm like, no, we're going to, we're going to move past the Pall Mall game. But like, we better get the Pall Mall game, which is basically croquet. And like, it could be pale male. I feel like that's the French pronunciation of it. But then they shorten it to P-A-L-L-M-A-L-L, which to me is Pall Mall because that's, yeah. anyway, not the point. Um, but it's a real game and it's basically croquet. And um, and I love this. And this is all I'm going to say about it so we can move on and not take up all this time. This is like the one interaction that we get with Simon and Daphne in the book. And that's where I'm like, I really, really hope that they're more included in the show because it's like there are mentions of them and they're like around But this is, like, the one time that they are, like, actually here in the flesh, you know, book-wise, in the book. And that's also why I'm just obsessed with this. Uh, Because it also shows up in their second epilogue in the Bridgerton's Happily Ever After uh, series, which, because Julia Quinn wrote a regular epilogue, and then she went back in time and then, like, over time and wrote a second epilogue to further the story. We love it. Um... Anyway, so Colin's like, hey, Simon and Daphne just got here. Let's go play a game of Paul Mall. And Kate's like, and he, or he's like, you've got to play Kate. And she's like, well, I, I don't know what this is. And he's like, oh, it's super easy. Like, we just put these wickets up and you, you know, hit the ball with a mallet through the wickets. And she's like, oh, okay, that seems pretty easy. And he says, not when you're playing with the Bridgertons. And she says, what does that mean? It means, Anthony cut in, that we've never seen the need to set out a regulation course. Colin sets out the wickets over tree roots, and you aimed yours towards the lake, Colin interrupted. We never did find the red ball after Daphne sank it. So, she's like, well, I don't know. And and Colin's like, no, 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 you gotta do it. And, and they're like, okay, well, we're gonna need one more. And Anthony is like, oh, well, I'll get Edwina. And so Kate w- walks down with Colin Oh, God, I'm getting into Pall Mall. Um, but, okay, this is all I'm going to say. And so when she meets Daphne, this is what Daphne says. Well, if you are brave enough to play Pall Mall with the Bridgertons, I definitely want you as my friend. Therefore, you must call me Daphne and my husband, Simon. Simon? And he's like, oh, yeah, hi. And uh, 
So then Daphne says, we have to make absolutely certain that Anthony loses his ball in the water. I have never forgiven him for the last time. I thought Benedict and Colin were going to die laughing. And Anthony was the worst. He just stood there smirking. Smirking! No one smirks quite like my eldest brother. I just love, like, I just love it. I love the, I love it. So I definitely, definitely want to see Paul Mall. And like, Benedict and Eloise are not part of this. And I would really, really love them to be included in this too. Uh, Like, I just feel like all of them need to be included. Suffice it to say, though, thanks to Kate. (laughs) Well, Kate gets, she just picks the black mallet. Anthony and, and Colin and Daphne are like, oh my God, she picked the mallet of death. Anthony comes down with Edwina finally. And he's like, yeah, she gets to be the mallet of death. They saved pink graciously for Anthony. And and Kate's like, what is the mallet of death? And they're like, well, Anthony gave that mallet its name. And like, that's always the mallet that Anthony chooses. And you're like, no, oh, I love this. Um, but it is all thanks to Kate using the mallet of death that she sinks Anthony's ball into the water, fulfilling Daphne's request. Oh, we love it. We love it. But then... He has to go. Then he fishes it out. Because Edwina, Edwina has just totally lost the plot. Uh, She's like, okay, but you got to go get the pink ball. (laughs) So he ends up getting it out. Kate stays because then she kind of feels bad (laughs) because now he's getting in the water. And uh, Colin just so kindly escorts Edwina back up to the house. Simon and Daphne have already taken off because this is the year after they've been married. So Daphne is pregnant uh, with her first child. So, again, Anthony and Kate are just left alone, thanks to Colin. Thank you, Colin. And Anthony, like, reaches this moment where he's like, he's like, I need to know that we're friends. And there's this moment, and he kisses her wrist like the inside of her wrist and I'm like I love it I'm obsessed but then it's time for dinner Penelope is there Cressida is there for the first time we finally meet Cressida she is just as terrible as she is in season one um I mean she gets her (laughs) she get hers she gets hers in the end um but he does a really sweet thing and he brings Penelope into the um dinner he just whisked Penelope in. And that is when Kate's like, dang, he's actually a good guy. Like, hmm. Because she becomes friends with Penelope. And that night, Kate has a nightmare. Um, which is another thing I feel like... I know that that'll probably bring it up. Um, I feel like it'll be flashbacks. Anyway too long didn't read version um her mother dies when she is young turns out that her mother died during a thunderstorm and like she had been sick for a couple of days but then it was thunderstorming and that's when she actually died and so kate even though she's not aware of this is basically like suppressed 
memories, whatever. So every time that there is an actual thunderstorm, she still has these nightmares. Um, so anyway, Anthony finds her that night huddled under a desk in the library. And like, that's basically when he falls in love with her because she is just, I mean, she's not even with it. And, and he realizes that she's like, just zoned, like her eyes are open, but she's just completely zoned out and she's in this, this sheer panic moment. And that is what leads us to the next morning. Well, like noon, uh, because he wakes up super late. Um, anyway, again, he finally wakes up because he's hungry and, uh, cause it's noon, like get your lazy ass out of bed, dude. And, um, but it's a house party and I guess that's what they do. But he goes to his window. Wouldn't you know, he sees Kate. <laughs> I'm telling you, I am telling you, just Anthony looking out windows, um, sees Kate going into the garden and he's like, I've got to go talk to her. Like, he's just drawn to He's like, he's got to go talk to her. And this is where it all really happens. He catches up to her in the garden. He's like, oh, I thought I'd find you here. She's like, really? Because uh, she's in this moment. Like, I think I love him, which sucks because that means I have to tell Edwina that he's a good guy. And he's like, oh, no, I saw you from the window. Because, uh, like, spoiler alert, I just like to stare out windows and you happen to walk by them a lot. Um, and he's like, I, you know, wanted to come check on you after last night. And she's like, oh, I'm much better. And he goes, I'm glad. I was up most of the night worried about you. And it's she's like, oh, God, it's this politeness. Like, he's just such a polite, caring person. And it's like, that's what you don't get from show Anthony. And that's where I'm like, show Anthony literally did book Anthony so wrong. It's not even funny. Um, like, I don't know how they're going to walk this back. So, um, so anyway... Then he said, and she's like, well, you know, I'm really sorry to have kept you up so late. And he's like, don't be silly. I, like, it pains me to think of you alone in the storm. I'm glad that I could be there to comfort you. It's so cute. Anyway, she then tells him, like, you know, had a lot of prejudices against you. Like, thought you were just a rake and, you know, uncaring and all of this, but I've kind of realized that you're not. So, I, uh, you can marry Edwina. Like, I, I give my blessing to this. And I love this passage. Like, this is, oh, this passage is so good. It says, Anthony just stared at her, completely at a loss. There was, he realized dimly, something a bit deflating about her willingness to marry him off to her sister, since he'd spent the better part of the last two days fighting the urge to kiss her rather senseless. On the other hand, wasn't this what he'd wanted? Edwina would make the perfect wife. Kate would not. Edwina fit all the criteria he'd laid out when he'd finally decided it was time to wed. Kate did not. And he certainly couldn't dally with Kate if he meant to marry Edwina. She was giving him what he wanted. Exactly, he reminded himself what he wanted. With her sister's blessing, Edwina would marry him next week if he so desired. Then why the devil did he want to grab her by the shoulders and shake and shake and shake until she took back every bloody little annoying word? It was that spark, that 
damnable spark that never seemed to dim between them, that awful prickle of awareness that burned every time she entered a room or took a breath or pointed a toe, that sinking feeling that he could, if he let himself, love her, which was the one thing he feared most, perhaps the only thing he feared at all. It was ironic, but death was the one thing he wasn't afraid of. Death wasn't frightening to a man alone. The great beyond held no terror when one had managed to avoid attachments here on earth. Love was a truly spectacular, sacred thing. Anthony knew that. He'd seen it every day of his childhood, every time his parents had shared a glance or touched hands. But love was the enemy of the dying man. It was the only thing he could make the rest of his years intolerable, to taste bliss and know that it would all be snatched away. And that was probably why, when Anthony finally reacted to her words, he didn't yank her to him and kiss her until she was gasping, and he didn't press his lips to her ears and burn his breath against her skin, making sure that she understood that he was on fire for her and not her sister, never her sister. Instead, he just looked at her impassively, his eyes far, far steadier than his heart, and said, I am much relieved. All the while, having the strangest feeling that he wasn't really there, but rather watching the entire scene, nothing more than a farce, really, from outside of his body, all the while wondering what the hell was going on. Like, what a scene what oh what spectacular writing i mean that is so much deeper than the opera singer hurt my feelings oh obsessed so good book anthony so good but thank god fate steps in with the help of a bee. Anthony loses it. He is like, shuts down, goes full military stealth ops, and he's like, don't move. This is what we're gonna do. Kate's like, what are you talking about? She looks at her, she's like, oh, it's a bee. It's fine. He's like, stop talking. And she's like, Anthony, it's a bee. He's like, this is what you're gonna do. You're gonna we're going to stand up slowly and then we're going to walk slowly. It's just like, Anthony, it's a bee. He stands up. He's trying to pull her up off of the bench. She does not understand why he's doing this. She doesn't know anything about his father. And she yanks back on his hand, loses her balance, and basically flings the bee into her collarbone and the bee stings her. And She's like, what is, oh, ow, ow, it got me. It stung me. Oh, you know, that hurts. Uh, she looks up. Anthony is just white. It says, not pale, not bloodless, white. And he says, oh, my God. Oh, my God. She's like, Anthony, uh, what's wrong? And he's like, I just, just loses it. He pushes her back on the bench, yanks her dress down to get to the collarbone. And she's like, Anthony. He pulls out a handkerchief. He tries to pop it like a zit. Very confused. And then he's looking at it. It's obviously red. It's obviously got, you know, it's like the clear, just skin, sebum, whatever, seeping out. And he's like, I didn't get it all out. I'm going to have to suck it out. And she's like, you're going to what? <laughs> she's like, Anthony, get off me. Like, she's trying to push him away. He's, he's just in this trance because he's like, you're going to die. And she's like, I'm not going to die. It's it's a bee sting. And he leans over her, trying to, 
trying to suck out the video. Like, he's, oh my God, I love him, but no, this is not, that's not it. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works, Anthony. And who should happen to be there but Violet, Mary, and Portia, aka Lady Featherington, aka the biggest town gossip that Anthony basically alludes to a fishmonger's wife, which is not wrong. Um, and all three of them are just like, what is going on? And Kate is like, oh no. I mean, this is the TikTok, like, <laughs> oh no song right here because she's like, eh, this is not good. And she's like, well, Mary's like, well, what, what is happening here? And she's like, I, I, I got a bee sting. And Anthony's like, mother, it's a bee. And like, Mary is on Kate's side of like, I don't understand what's going on. It's a bee sting. Violet's like, oh, I get it. <laughs> and Portia's just standing there and she's like, okay, well, you got, you have to get married now. And they're like, no, no, not, no. And the three ladies are like, no, I mean, like, you're out in the middle of the garden. Like, lots of people can see you right now. Kate and Anthony kind of, like, look around and realize that, yeah, they're, um, you know, pretty exposed in this area. And But Kate is just, she's like, it's my collarbone. Like, she's trying to pull her dress to show the collarbone. And the three ladies are, like, blushing. And she's like, it's my collarbone. It's nowhere close to my chest. <laughs> and she's just, Kate's like, this can't be happening because, like, Kate wants to marry him, but she's like, I, this can't be because B, like, this, this isn't how I wanted this to go. Anthony is like, you know, win-win. I would have never allowed myself to marry her, but okay, sure, yeah, we were in a compromising position, so yeah, no, we gotta get married. That's just how it is. That's, it's fine. Not, no reason to have a big fuss about it. Works for me. And so finally, Kate's trying to get his attention. She's like, Anthony, Anthony. And he's like, we'll marry next week. Violet's like, oh, good. <laughs> Mrs. Sheffield and I will begin the preparations immediately. <laughs> I love it. Oh, God, I can't wait. I don't know who they're going to cast as Mary, but I can't wait. Like, I just love it. So Kate's like, no, but you, you don't you don't even like me. And like this, this can't be happening. Portia is still standing there. Violet like basically like yanks her arm out of her socket to get her out of the way. And Anthony's like, well, like, I don't understand what the big deal is. Like I decided I was going to get married this year. So that's good enough reason for me to marry you. And like, you obviously have to get married at some point in time. And Kate says, well, to be honest, I rather assumed I wouldn't. And I love this. Oh my God. I love this so much says Anthony felt his muscles tense and it took him several seconds to realize that what he was feeling was rage. You plan to live your life as a spinster? Well, it seemed a definite possibility, yes. Anthony held himself still for several seconds, thinking he might like to murder all those men and women who had compared her to Edwina and found her lacking. Kate truly had no idea that she might be attractive and desirable in her own right. Oh, <laughs> so cute. Oh, so then he's like, he tells Violet, he's like, well, you know, my fiance and I want a couple minutes alone. And Portia's like, well, do you think that's wise? He goes up to Violet and he's like, if you don't have her out of my sight in the next 10 seconds, I'm going to kill her. <laughs> I love it. So anyway, 
they all end up back in London because they have to plan this wedding in a week. And I'm like, meanwhile, now, like, we're having, like, year, two year long engagements. Um, I don't think anyone made it past a month, three months tops in any historical romance book that I've read. Um, what's that like? I guess we've devolved in this moment. Anyway, so Anthony shows up the day before the wedding, during the daytime, and to talk to Kate. And he's such an idiot. He's like, he's just a lovable idiot in this moment. He's like, you know, I just think we should go over a couple of things here. Um, I pledge my fidelity to you. Um, you know, there will be no one else. I expect the same in return. I respect your mind. Um, like I'll handle all the finances and everything. Uh, and like, yeah, we're going to be great friends. But, um, I don't plan on ever falling in love with you. And, you know, that's fine because like lots of marriages, they don't love each other. Ah, <laughs> uh, I mean, oh God, Anthony, I love you. But, um, yeah, no, that's not the way. Um, uh, like that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works again. So anyway, then they, they make out pretty heavily and, uh, he's, he leaves and he's like, okay, yeah, I think it's going to be fine. I think it's going to be fine. This, I think we're, it's fine. Kate, meanwhile, is like, okay, so I'm in love with him. He's not in love with me. Sure. Mary comes in that night. And can I just say, all I can say about this is thank God for Mary. Violet, can you take some lessons? I don't understand how Violet gave birth eight times. Can't have the talk with any of her daughters. I don't understand. We all know, we all saw what happened with Daphne and what a mess that was because she couldn't put two words together coherently. <laughs> Getting to Eloise's book, um, because Francesca got married before Eloise, uh, there's talk about how she couldn't tell Francesca, really. Uh, and then she also had a hard time with Eloise. And Eloise is like, no, it's fine. Francesca and I paid off a housemaid <laughs> to tell us. <laughs> I mean, hopefully the girls, hopefully someone talks to poor Hyacinth. Because uh, obviously not going to be Violet. Um, anyway, Mary, we love this. She says... I always swore that no daughter of mine would enter into marriage ignorant of what occurs between a husband and wife. Like, and can I also just say, like, I love that Mary is the stepmother, but, like, she just takes Kate as her own. And that was, I mean, it was made very clear. Like, she married Kate's father, who has since passed away, um, well before the morning time was over, but because you know, he knew Kate needed a mother and she never, like, she, she just took over as Kate's mother. I just love that. It's so sweet. Anyway, get to the wedding day. Everything goes fine. Wedding night happens. And I just need to talk. I just, I just have to point this one out because Anthony is just the cutest. So they're in the middle of, you know, and at one point he calls her beautiful and she just, she just stops because Mary is like, she just laid it all out on the line. And so Kate's like, look, I had this talk. Um, 
like, you just called me beautiful. Who are you thinking about? And (laughs) I'm sorry. And Anthony's like, what? (laughs) And Kate's like, you just called me beautiful. Like, who are you thinking about? Are you thinking about Edwina? And he's like, you don't look anything like your sister. Like, how could I possibly be thinking of your sister right now? And she's like, Mary had this talk with me. I understand everything. And, uh, like, I know you're not thinking of me, so who are you thinking about? I absolutely adore this. I, like, show Anthony could never, like, I don't know how they're gonna redeem show Anthony to how sweet and caring book Anthony is. But he says, I've got to get to it. Oh, okay. It says, I just love this. It says, listen to me and listen well, because I am only going to say this once. I desire you. I burn for you. I mean, we had to get the I burn for you in there. Anyway, I can't sleep at night for wanting you. Even when I didn't like you, I lusted for you. It's the most maddening, beguiling, damnable thing, but there it is. And if I hear one more word of nonsense from your lips, I'm going to have to tie you to the bloody bed and have my way with you a hundred different ways until you finally get it through your silly skull that you are the most beautiful and desirable woman in England. And if everyone else doesn't see that, then they're all bloody fools. And and Kate's just like, she's just silent. And he says, is that understood? <laughs> and she doesn't say anything. And he leans in and he goes, is that understood? She nods and he goes, good. Like, show Anthony could never. That was just such a sweet, like, but I just, <laughs> she's like, well, you called me beautiful. Who are you thinking of? And he's like, what are you talking about? I mean, way miles ahead of Simon and Daphne. That's all I can say. Things for the newlyweds are great. Edwina has met a man. This is so sweet. Anthony's like, well, I would love to meet him. And, you know, I would love to give you a dowry. And they're like, you would? And he's like, well, yeah, I'm the head of the household. That's what I do. We love and appreciate a man who just accepts your family. We love it. Anyway, things are great until they're not because he realizes that he is head over heels in love with his wife. God, how dare he? How dare he? Um, and it just scares him senseless. So he just leaves one night and he tells Kate, like, I, I, I gotta go. I can't be here right now. I gotta leave. Eloise writes to Kate the next day and says, hey, um, just so you know, Anthony came here last night and he's been holed up in his study. Don't think he wants me to tell you this, but, you know, in case you're wondering. Kate shows up and Anthony's like, I can't see you right now. I, You can't be here. You have to go. I can't talk to you about this. And it's not like a, a huge fight, but they get into a fight. Kate leaves and Anthony gets rip-roaringly three sheets to the wind drunk. He shows up the next day at the club Benedict and Colin are also there. This is really the only interaction with Benedict um, throughout the whole book. So I I do love that he was included. Um, And like, poor Gregory, sorry that you're so much younger. But like A, B, and C, they're just so close. I just, I just love them. Anyway, Benedict and Colin (laughs) are there and they're talking about Anthony and Kate boot you out of the house, Colin asks, grabbing a walnut. And Anthony lifts his head to glare at him. Benedict's watching. And she sa- he says, she definitely booted him out. 
Hand me one of those walnuts, will you? Colin tosses one. Do you want the crackers as well? Benedict shook his head, grinned as he held up a fat leather bound book, much more satisfying to smash them. Don't, Anthony bit out his hand, shooting out to grab the book. Even think about it. Ears a bit sensitive this afternoon, are they? If Anthony had had a pistol, he would have shot them both. Hang the noise. If I might offer you a piece of advice, Colin said, munching on the walnut. You might not, Anthony replied. He looked up. Colin was chewing with his mouth open. As this had been strictly forbidden while growing up in the household, Anthony could only deduce that Colin was displaying such poor manner poor manners only to make more noise. <laughs> Close your damn mouth, he muttered. Colin swallowed, smacked his lips, took a sip of tea to wash it all down. Whatever you did, apologize for it. I know you, and I'm getting to know Kate, and knowing what I know, what is he talking about? Anthony grumbled. I think, Benedict said, leaning back in his chair, that he's telling you you're an ass. Just so, Colin exclaimed. Anthony just shook his head wearily. It's more complicated than you think. It always is, Benedict said, with sincerity so false it almost managed to sound sincere. When you two idiots find women gullible enough to actually marry you, Anthony snapped, then you may presume to offer me advice. But until then, shut up. Colin looked at Benedict. Think he's angry? Benedict quirked a brow. That or drunk? Colin shook his head. No, not drunk. Not anymore. At least. He's clearly hungover. Which would explain, Benedict said with a philosophical nod, why he's so angry. Anthony spread one hand over his face and pressed hard against his temples with his thumb and middle finger. God above, he muttered. What would it take to get you two to leave me alone? Go home, Anthony, Benedict said, his voice surprisingly gentle. Anthony closed his eyes, let out a long breath. There was nothing he wanted to do more, but he wasn't sure what to say to Kate, and more importantly, he had no idea how he'd feel once he got there. Yes, Colin agreed. Just go home and tell her that you love her. What could be more simple? Our sweet baby angel Colin, who basically set them up and kept pushing them together also, just nailed the, just hit the nail right on the head. Just tell her you love her. What could be more simple? And Anthony realizes, yes, duh, that's what I need to do. He takes off. Kate's not there, though. She is out with Edwina and the man that Edwina has is falling for on a carriage ride. <sighs> Another carriage ride. Anthony gets stopped by Lady Danbury, and it's as he's talking to Lady Danbury that he sees disaster. The carriage turns over. He's like oh my god, he, he's like, Kate's dead. Kate's in there and she's dead. I mean, he's very dramatic. Um, He gets over there. Kate is in the cart still. The, the cart is turned over and she's unconscious at first. And he's like, you can't die. I'm the one that's supposed to die young, not you. You have to wake up. And and she kind of comes to and she's like, where, where am I? What, what are you talking about? And then she's like, oh my god, my leg. She has broken her foot pretty well. They managed to get her out. She ends up getting fixed by three doctors, of which they're like, well, we only needed one here. And Anthony's like, all three of you are staying and you're all going to fix her. <laughs> we love him. And then Kate's like, er, tell me, are you going to tell me what you were talking about in the carriage when you thought I was unconscious? N he finally does. He finally tells her, yeah, so, like, I've been convinced since I was 18 that I'm going to die by the time I'm 38. 
because that's when my father died. So, like, obviously, that's when I'm going to die. And Kate's like, okay, sure. Um, you're wrong, but yeah, I see what you're saying, but it's definitely not going to happen. <laughs> and, and he's like, well, how, how can you know that? And she's like, I, I just do like, that's your father died. It was a, it was a freak accident, but that, that doesn't mean that you two are going to die now. And this is so sweet because this is when he like, really, 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 really realizes what love is and that he really loves her. And it says that he realized that Kate made him a better person. He'd been a good and strong and kind before, but with her at his side, he was something more. I just love it. And, um, yeah, so he's like, all right, that's it. I'm all in. Let's do this. And... Then we get to the epilogue on the last day of his 38th birthday. Strikes midnight. He's now officially 39. He has lived past the curse. It's so sweet. It's so sweet. I can't. It's too much. On that note, I'm going to close out this podcast, which is now nine minutes longer. It's going to be more than this because I'm adding this. Uh, then the second one that I did of this. So it's fine. Anyway, that's it. That's, that's the Viscount who loved me. That's Anthony's story. <laughs> and that's why you should read this book because for everything that I talked about, there was even more that I, I also didn't talk about. Yeah. Hope you made it all the way through this one. I can't. Maybe Benedict's will be shorter. I don't know. I don't know. Until next week with the March wrap-up. Guys, um, can you believe that March is almost done? Crazy. Uh, absolutely wild. Where is this year going? Um, yeah. Until next week. Remember, there are no bad hair days. I will see you next week. <laughs>